Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church podcast with Pastor Ward. We've been singing, He Wears the Victor's Crown. And that settles it. Jesus has already conquered the devil. He has conquered death, so we can say we will live and not die. Death is not the end for us, praise God. In fact, the, uh, you know, when we die, we actually gain. We don't lose, we win. We have a crown waiting for us, and uh, that should be impetus. And more and more, God is saying in these days to his people, you are here for a purpose. You are here because I placed you here. You're not here just to make a fortune and have a particular kind of job that you can, you know, glorify yourself in. He's saying you are here for purpose. That's why Israel missed it. They actually missed the whole purpose of why God called them as a nation. And it's interesting because, you know, that Jesus actually aligned himself to Jonah more than any other prophet. And I find that really interesting because, you know, Jonah was, it's just a small book, and yet, the more you understand, you know, the fact that Jesus quoted from Jonah, you know, they, I've read lots of things about, oh, well, this is just mythical. How could a man be swallowed by a fish? Isn't that ridiculous, you know? And they've put all kinds of arguments why this book cannot be true. Maybe it was just a, a story that was made up at the time or whatever. But the one who never told a lie quoted, he says, and this, and he said this to the Pharisees in particular because they were doubting him. And he really came back strong on those leaders of Israel and he said, because they were looking for a sign. Show us a sign, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. He said, no other sign than that of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's the only sign that you're going to get. And he actually said to them, even the people of Nineveh will rise up one day and condemn you because you didn't believe. And what was he referring to? Of course, he was referring to his, his, uh, his death and resurrection. And because Israel did not accept the resurrection even of Jesus, though he showed himself on one occasion to 500 people, and they still did not want to know. Uh, and uh, they tried in every way. They said, well, his body was stolen out of the tomb. He didn't really rise from the day. They hid him, you know. But all of those early disciples were afraid of the authorities. And uh, people like Thomas wouldn't even believe, even though the other disciples were saying, he has risen from the dead. And it was the, the women, bless the women, who went to the tomb, who first saw the resurrection. Amen. No wonder Jesus appeared to them because, you know, that uh, they had a more tender heart. Peter and John, they were playing about with it in their head, I guess. And, um, but eventually, they decided to go to the tomb. And when they saw that he wasn't there, then, praise God, the penny began to drop. This is what Jesus had been telling us, that he would rise from the dead. But this book, beloved, is so important um, and uh, the, the, the reason, the more that you read about it, um, 
It is a revelation, I believe, of the contrast between the nature of God and the nature of man. It comes out so strongly. And that's unusual in the Old Testament to see that. We read a lot about the love of Jesus and the love of God in the New Testament. But in some ways, you don't seem to see a lot of that. And it's kind of covered because we see God coming in judgment upon like the people of the Amalekites and wiping them out and all of this. And therefore, we begin to develop a picture maybe isn't of a loving God unless you understand, as we were saying last week, 400 years, he kept telling the Amalekites, you better straighten up or else judgment will come. And they were doing the most horrific thing to their own children. And God sees everything. And of course, it becomes clear here in, as we begin to study the book of Jonah. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And there is God in heaven, a pure and holy God, and he is looking down on this earth. And you know, we reckon that it's more evil today than it was even in the days of Jonah so if that wickedness was coming up in in those days how much more that is happening today with all of the filth and everything that is going on in the media and and so on the things that uh, we see on television some of us remember a, a lady called Mary Whitehouse do you remember her I remember speaking at Spring Harvest, and of course she was seen to be a little bit of a crank as far as the, uh, the media was concerned, and they used to pull her apart and say this prude, this, this woman, and, and she actually in a way prophesied, and the things that she was seeing on TV at that time were nothing like you can see now or on internet, and she said, unless the government does something about these things now, this country is going to get worse and worse and worse. You know, we know that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. But wickedness, the Word of God says, is a reproach to any people. So the, the very fact of wickedness, and wickedness will not stop. It will go further and further because the one who's behind it is the evil one, Satan himself. And he is full of filth and impurity and everything you can imagine. So all of these things, every lie Jesus said started with the devil. He's the one who's behind every lie that is on the earth. And he feeds the minds of people all the time. And that's his way. But this book, beloved, uh, really is quite interesting. Um, uh, Charles Reeds, who was... Um, great author and dramatist back in the 1800s, he actually said this, which is interesting. He actually wrote uh, a classic book, I don't know, some of you may have read it, The Cloister and the Hearth, and uh, it, he is a recognized tremendous author, although at, even in his days he, um, he was always uh, being uh, pulled down in, in areas. But it said, he said this, the, this book of Jonah is the most beautiful story ever written in so small a compass. And so, you know, it is just a small book, but he actually said it's the most beautiful story ever written. And, and yet when you read it, just, you know, glibly, but when you begin to read it and begin to study it and understand, you know, why it's there and what God is saying through it, we realize, 
he's not far from the truth in these things. And uh, Charles Reed, um, he is probably better known for, for the quote I've, uh, I, when we were down in uh, the um, Thomas Street in the school, someone uh, who was in the church at the time, they actually, because I'd, I'd mentioned this quote way, way back, and they actually wrote it. They were very good at writing, and they did it in fancy writing. It's like a little plaque, and they gave it to me. I used to have it up on the wall. And it was, this, this is the quote that uh, uh, Charles um, Reed said. He said, Sow a thought, and you reap an act. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you repeat, you, you, uh, you reap um, uh, destiny. And, you know, those, those things, the more that you kind of think on those things, it all starts, really, with this very fact of the thought. And it, it ties in exactly with what the Word says. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And then, interestingly enough, I haven't seen the film, but maybe some of you have, about uh, Margaret Thatcher. It's called The Iron Lady. Meryl Streep actually played Margaret Thatcher. And what they did, they kind of modernized Charles Reed's statement. And this is, this is how Meryl Streep uh, brings it out in the film. She says, mind your thoughts. I mean, these, these are the words of Margaret Thatcher. She actually said these things. Uh, mind your thoughts, for they become your words. Mind your words, for they become your actions. Mind your actions, for they become your habits. Mind your habits, for they become your character. Watch your character, for they become your destiny. So they kind of just modernize that. But when, when you consider those words, it's so true. Mind your thoughts. And doesn't the Word of God say, take every thought captive? Uh, it seems that the enemy does have access to our mind. Because you'll be aware at times, a thought comes into your mind, and you think, well, where did that come from? You know, you can be doing something just, oh, and suddenly something comes in. It could be even, you know, and the enemy does this, he, he could give you a bad thought about somebody. Maybe somebody will upset you. And you get this thought in your mind. And before you know, you start playing about with it. And of course, that's what it says. Uh, mind your thoughts because what comes in eventually comes out of your mouth. And suddenly you're speaking those things out, maybe telling somebody else about it. And from that, of course, from your words that come out of your mouth, then comes the actions. Isn't it just like how the devil worked in the garden with Eve? Remember that he came across Eve one, one day in the Garden of Eden and she was no doubt looking at all this beautiful fruit that was there but God had said that they weren't to take from that particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil and maybe he just caught her looking. You see sometimes, oops, there we go, uh, still on. Um, the devil comes along and he can, he's watching over us. He has his demons that are sent to assailers and, and they watch our actions and they, they, you know, I just see so often that that is what God uh, is trying to remind us of, you know, in, in the fact with, with Eve, she looked and uh, as she was looking, 
She was thinking about it. And all it needed then was the devil to say, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? I bet that tastes really good, Eve. If you were to take that, that would be probably the best fruit you've ever tasted. And yet, I mean, they could take from every other tree in the garden. It wasn't that God was depriving them in any way. But it was certainly a test of obedience. You know, he said, you know, this you can do, that you can't. We do that in school, actually. Sometimes the children get a little bit of a shock that we have rules. And if they overstep the mark, they finish up with what we call a demerit. If they do good things, they get merits, praise God. And I'm glad to say that uh, overall, merits are more than the demerits. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it's a kind of a form of, uh, you know, whether we obey the rules that are good for us or whether we disobey. But God had said, in the day that you take of that fruit, you would die. And, uh, of course, then the devil comes along and, first of all, he's saying, Eve, that looks pretty good. I bet that really tastes nice. And, uh, well, we're being told we're, we're not to take from that fruit. Oh, well, God hasn't really said that. He just knows that if you took that, you would become like him. And you'd know all the things that God knows. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and that's the way that the devil is working. He's trying to take our thoughts and he wants then to turn those into words or into actions because the next thing, of course, we read is now Eve is reaching out. And so the things that are in our thinking do turn into actions. We take it and then, of course, if it's contrary to God's will or what should be good for us, then it's going to affect us. But the whole point is our character, which is the main thing that God is after. Holy Spirit, you know, that when he came into you, his whole purpose in every one of us is to make us like Jesus. Now, the good news is you are like him on the inside because you've received him. And therefore, the word of God says we are the righteousness of God in Christ. The fact that Christ is in us and some of the songs I noted that we were singing this morning is that He's alive in us. It's Jesus alive in us. That kept coming over to me this morning. It's Jesus alive in us. Praise God. He's not dead in us. He's alive in us. But he still is looking for our obedience. And Holy Spirit is doing everything that he can is to bring what's on the inside on the outside of us. And as someone said, you know, I know about your Jesus, but I'd like to see him in your life. And that is the greatest testimony. And somebody said, you know, live like Jesus. And if necessary, you may have to say things about him. But only if necessary, because people ought to be able to see Jesus in us without even saying anything. And they see that we're different. We, uh, we had a little bit of a surprise in the last couple of days. We, uh, we were in um, Morrison's, of all places, uh, doing some shopping. Now, we don't usually go to the Morrison's in Hunslet, but we were, we'd been to Costco, and uh, Heather said she needed to go to the supermarket, so I groaned and said, okay, we'll go. And, uh, and so we, we went to the Morrison's, and... Um, and we kind of part. 
I go look at the interesting things like the CDs and the books and things while others doing all the mundane shopping. And so she'd gone off and then um, I saw that she was talking to a couple of people, as she usually is anyway. It takes hours to shop because she talks to anybody and everybody. But as it happened, the two that she was talking to were my cousins. And, um, and they're twins. I remember them being born. And uh, uh, one was only like two pounds when she was born. And the other was three pounds. And uh, we were actually talking uh, to, yesterday to a mother, to their mother. And um, she was telling us about the birth. And, of course, in those days, because we're going back a lot of years now, when um, they didn't have the technology that they have, and she didn't know she were having twins. And apparently, one of the babies was directly behind the other. And so they hadn't actually determined that there were twins at all. And so uh, uh, when, when the babies were delivered, the, uh, the nurse uh, said to her, or the doctor said, uh, you've got two. And she said, but I only wanted one. <laughs> so I uh, said, well, they're both coming, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And uh, so, so those are the two uh, ladies now who uh, Heather was talking to. But while we're talking to them, they told us that my aunt from Canada was actually over in England. And so, uh, but then they said, but they're going back today, Sunday. So yesterday we went over and um, we managed to, to see my aunt who now is 80. And 80, no, she's not 86. Not, the other one is. So I got, I got two aunties and, and a cousin. Her daughter had come to, uh, from Canada with us. And the girl, her daughter, was Heather's, one of Heather's bridesmaids because she had five bridesmaids when she got married and um, Vicky was one of them. And she'd be, what, about 10 years old then. And she told us she had now been married for 40 years herself. So you really start thinking, wow. You know, time flies, but, uh, but the, the amazing thing is, you know, that, that God wanted us to be there. And so, you know, how he puts things together, we just happened to go to that supermarket at that time to see them. Otherwise, we wouldn't have even been able to see Mayan because, to say, she uh, literally was leaving at 8.30 this morning for the airport. And so we went over yesterday and spent a few hours with them. But Vicky, uh, the... the who, uh, of course, I was in Canada when Vicky was over there, and uh, my mom actually uh, looked after her for, in her early years. And so we had quite a lot to do with them. Then they came back to England, but then they went back to Canada. We were very wise, went back to Canada again, and they've lived there ever since. But Vicky actually said to us yesterday, and I'd for even forgotten about this, you know, that we gave all of our bridesmaids Bibles, you know, probably a little white Bible, and apparently, I, c I couldn't even remember doing this, but she said, you wrote, I don't know what I wrote, actually. I wrote in this Bible, and she said, I keep that next to me, you know, at the side of a bed. So 
I believe she's going to start reading that Bible. She's actually started looking on the websites about the church and everything. So God's doing things, you see. And her uh, father died just a few years ago, who I had spent a lot of time with. And, uh, but it's amazing. You know, God is working these things out. Even, you know, when we pray for family, I really believe he goes into action. And, and so he, he had organized that because this probably, I would think, is the, the last time that my aunt would be coming over to England. And, of course, uh, uh, Vicky is, she was born in Canada, so she is Canadian in every way. So, who knows? We would like to, at some point, go out there and see them, but uh, that's all in God's hands. But... So, the, the very fact of, of God organizing our lives, and we must let him do that. Sometimes what we do, we organize him out of our life. And we determine what we want, and where we want to go, and when we do these things. Uh, I mean, we're notorious for, for not making plans, but we, we felt over the years, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to do, and, and so on, but we, uh, we, we just like to hear what God is saying and, and respond to what he says. And yet, here we find, you know, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he spoke to him, arise, go to Nineveh. That was pretty clear. And he was a prophet. He knew the voice of God. He knew what God was saying. And, uh, and so, he had an opportunity here to, uh, to obey God, but in fact, he chose not to. And I wonder how many times God does say things to us and we either ignore it, as he did, and that's willful disobedience to the word, or sometimes we might obey what he's saying, but it's reluctant obedience. And again, we find later on in the story of Jonah that he eventually did respond, but he was very reluctant to do that. And in fact, even over the instructions that God had given to him, he got angry. He got angry with God because he didn't want to do what God was saying. And yet he was a prophet of God. And, and yet, you know, I think there's great lessons, quite honestly, in, in these things that we're going to be studying. I really believe that, you know, our lives can really be set on fire because the end result, of course of this book and why it is such an important book is you find revival breaks out. And, uh, and if we're, we're looking for revival, there's got to be something in this that tells us, you know, if we really begin to get the voice of God, we should expect nothing less than revival because it's God's will. Simply because he's not willing that any should perish, irrespective of what some parts of the church say, you know, this, we're going down as a, you know, world spiritually and, you know, when Jesus comes back, he's just going to, we're just going to kind of hang on until he comes and then we'll make it through maybe and, uh, you know, but that isn't really what the word says. There was an old hymn that used to say, hold the fort for I am coming and you get this impression of the church really hanging on for dear life, you know. Come quickly, Jesus, because, you know, things are so bad. You know, we, and yet, we know that things are bad, and we want Jesus to come quickly, nothing wrong in praying that. But we've got to do what God tells us to do while we're here, because this is the only generation that we can serve. 
Yeah, we get one shot at that as people and individuals. We're with this generation, for this generation. There may not be another one beyond us, and we've got to live as if there isn't, and do all that we can while we can. And if we do that, I believe that God is going to do the rest. Amen. Another quote about the book of Jonah says, it's a high watermark of the Old Testament revelation. You don't get any deeper than this book, is what it's saying. This is a high mark in revelation concerning Old Testament uh, uh, books, the book of Jonah. So now the word of the Lord came. God is bringing words to us now. Now faith is the substance. You know, it's for now, this time. And this was the time that God ordained for even a Gentile nation. I was listening, I was watching a preacher on TV, and I had to disagree with him because he said, you know, God never spoke to the Gentiles in the Old Testament. He only ever spoke to Israel. I thought, not so. He didn't speak to many but he did speak to Nineveh, which was a big city, a massive city. And as we know, it's the, the modern-day Mosul in uh, north Iraq. And so we, it, it still apparently is the third biggest city in, in Iraq. In those days, it was the capital and, uh, of that area. It was a very powerful nation of the Assyrians that were there. They had grown in numbers, tremendously strong. They had associated with the Babylonians, and, uh, and for 200 um, uh, years they had got stronger and stronger. In actual fact, at the time that Jonah goes to them, they are now receding somewhat. And, uh, but they had been a powerful nation. They were the arch enemies of Israel, hence Jonah's reluctance because he thought, we should be, God, you should be destroying these people, not saving them, because they're our enemy. And if you save them, they're going to come and attack us and destroy us as a people. And, um, and again, that's why you begin to see something of the character of God. That he really does want to save all people. Jesus died for everyone, irrespective of whether they're Muslims or Hindus or whatever. He died for them just the same as he did for us. Does he want them to remain Muslims? No, he doesn't. They're serving a false god. But by his love and his mercy, he can win the Muslims of this town. He really can. But he's got to get a people that love them and won't run away from the challenge as Jonah was doing. But praise God. Here we have it. And so, in James, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A lot of people in the you know, kingdom of God, unfortunately, are double-minded. They're not quite sure about what the will of God is. And yet, God does bring the word. He brought the word to Jonah. 
And Jonah said, not for me. I'm not going to respond to that, God. You mean you want me to go to a people like that and tell them that you're going to forgive them, you're going to heal them? And uh, he actually got on a boat, as we read there in verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And uh, many believe that Tarshish was um, like near the Straits of Gibraltar uh, in Spain. We've been there. We, um, we love going to Gibraltar. It was a place that we, we had lots of blessings and were able to minister in a church there. But in other words, you can imagine coming from Israel, he literally went as far as he could across the Mediterranean and his purpose was to get away from God. It's hard to think, you know, that a prophet of God, a man of God, or even Christians today, they're actually running away from God. And it says he was trying to escape the presence of the Lord. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it. In other words, preach Preach the gospel to them, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get out of the presence of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, we can do that. We don't want to hear what God is saying. He'd heard this word from the Lord. He didn't want to hear any more. And he thought that by literally getting on a boat, and he paid his fare, and of course... He was able to do that because in those days um, there was a lot of trade. Uh, the Phoenicians, you know, that they, they were traveling and they even got into, came to Cornwall. I remember in my uh, kind of history lessons and, uh, of many years ago, uh, they, they used to go to Cornwall to get the tin because all the tin mines were there. And so there was a, a big trade going on. And so there were boats leaving, like from Joppa in, in Israel, and, uh, and they would literally travel right through, even to, to Great Britain, trading. So that's, that's exactly what John did. He just got on one of these boats. I suppose it didn't matter really, uh, as long as it was going a long distance. And he felt that basically he could get out of the presence of the Lord by going that kind of distance. How foolish, because God is everywhere. But we, don't we do the same sometimes? We're hiding from God. It's almost as if, you know, we put something over our head and we don't, I don't want to hear about those things. God, we, sometimes, I know a lot of people uh, are afraid of even responding to the gospel. They think that God is going to send them to China and all they're going to do is eat rice for the rest of their life, you know. And uh, it's the challenge of, of mission. And yet, God has called us to mission. Sometimes it's to stay where we are and to support others that go. And thank God we, uh, we supported... Um, as a church, the uh, mission to Nepal last year is going to be another exciting adventure this year because it's Montenegro. Just don't let them beat our soccer team, that's all, our football team. And, uh, but, uh, but that is an exciting adventure because this is a new kind of plant of a church there and the students can go and help with that and bring and preach to, you know, those who've never heard the gospel, I suspect, in Montenegro. 
And this pastor who's moved from South Africa is, uh, is, is out there. And uh, he had a Christian school, an AC school in South Africa. And I suspect that he probably would, uh, would want to start a school in Montenegro. Well, there's a challenge for our school to say, hey, we will support that. We will get involved with that. Amen. We will pay a visit to Montenegro as a school. And if students want to go to Montenegro, praise God. Well, we should be ready. Amen. We can see things happen. Praise God. It, this world is so much smaller now, isn't it? And, um, but nevertheless, you know, what James is reminding us of is that basically what we do need and what Jonah really needs, he wasn't using godly wisdom. He wasn't asking God about this. He, he just was going by his own feelings and his own thoughts. You see, he was a nationalist, was, was Jonah. He was very much Israel. And, uh, and Israel is the country, and Israel is the one that God is concerned. He's not interested in anybody. So this was kind of blowing his mind. How could this be God to, to say these things? And sometimes we're a bit like that. You may see people that you think, well, God could never do anything with them. You know, and uh, they're the unlovely people. And wasn't it James who said, if anybody comes into your church who kind of is in, uh, in rags and whatever, he says, the danger is you want to leave, leave them at the back somewhere. But if somebody comes in with wealth, oh, give them the front seat. You know, they're the important. They're the ones who are going to be able to put into the offering anyway, aren't they? I mean, they may give you enough money to put another floor in this place and... Um, we, we once had a millionaire in the church and he got upset because it was when we were down at the other building because these young men were coming in and they were, they were loud and they were sometimes kicked the door open and whatever. And he said, you either get rid of these, uh, we're going. I had to say, well, that's exactly why we're here, for people like this. And he went. And he used to like to tell me he put a lot of money in the offering. And, uh, but that's not what it's about. Amen. God looks at things differently. We were saying about, you know, when we come to give uh, offerings, God doesn't look at how much you put in. He looks at what you've still got left when you put it in. And that's why he watched the, their old widow, you know, put a, two mites in. But he taught his disciples a lesson. He said she's put more in than anybody else. And yet two little mites is all she could afford, but it was everything she had. But I have no doubts whatsoever that that widow got blessed and blessed and blessed. Because Jesus would not see her starving. He's promised that for us, you know. He hasn't said that we can have, you know, gold and silver and all of this uh, beyond uh, what he would want us to have or what we could handle anyway. But he will give us everything that we need for this life. That's good news, you know. That's good news for our young people who are, you know, coming to the point of even leaving school. They don't have to worry about those things. Leave that to God. Just let him open the doors that he wants to open for you. And, and he will do that. And we've seen that happen. And he does that for all of us. It may not even be the thing that you have got welling up inside of you and you think, I could make a real good success of this, this, I would be great at this. And, and as soon as we start thinking those thoughts, God says, but you know, that's not the path I want you to take. This is where I want you to take. But that
it doesn't seem as important as what I've got in my mind, well, it will become even more important because God has got other plans and you know, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we do have the mind of Christ. And that means that we have the capacity and the ability to interpret the word of God. And really, if Jonah had done that, if he'd have sat down and said, I don't understand this, God. You're telling me to go to our enemies to preach a message that you are going to save them if they will repent. He says, no way. And yet, if he'd have used and asked God for the wisdom, he said, what an opportunity. A bit like, you know, bless them, the Anglican church moved out of this building. I guess they had to move out because we were going to move in and God had got that planned. But their reasoning in, in leaving the building was their parish is now smaller because the Asians have moved in. And I, I said to the vicar, I said, well, praise God, thank you very much. We, we would like to have this building, but part of it will be so we can reach out to the ones that are moving in. Because the mission field, Nineveh's come to us, amen? And uh, we got the news that will set them free. But we've got to be ready for all that God has called us to. So, beloved, arise. That was the message to Jonah. Arise and go to Nineveh. He arose, but he went the other way. Literally. You know, they say that a true... Uh, concept of conversion is that you were going in one direction and you stop you hear the message and the message says you're going the wrong way you need to be going towards the cross not away from it and as we embrace the cross we then keep on going and we're kind of on our direction to the places that God wants us to be God is amazingly speaking to a lot of people about Jewsbury I find that interesting. But Dominic would tell you, lots of these college students, they've heard, go to Jewsbury. Why would anybody come to Jewsbury? Especially if they know Jewsbury. But it's God's voice. And that makes all the difference. We were, actually yesterday we were talking about, um, obviously, you know, Canada and me spending a few years there. I was virtually finished my education in Canada. And my aunt said, and we tried to get you to come. And I said, and I wanted to come. And her husband, he worked for a building company. He was, he was a plasterer. Very good. He was apparently, you know, he could do anything in plaster work and uh, ornamental stuff. And, but he was a real hard worker. And he had told his boss about me. Oh, my nephew in uh, England, he's an accountant. Because he'd heard that they needed an accountant for, for his, his building business. And my uncle Alfie, he wrote to me. He said, why don't you send him? See, we don't, we'd only been married, I don't know, maybe a year or something. Not long. And I wrote uh, back to this boss because we had a desire to go to Canada. And uh, he wrote me back. He said, okay, you got the job. And uh, it got a health plan and everything, you know. It was a really good, good offer. And, uh, and I thought, praise God. Heather had 
First of all, she struggled with it because we'd got a house, we'd kind of got all new furniture in, just getting married, and everything was beautiful, orange carpets we had, and, and she'd never had anything like that, Cossack carpets, remember Cossack carpets? Uh, but it, it looked, it did look nice, but she'd never had that, you see, um, uh, before she met me. <laughs> but basically, you know, she, she just... Felt that this 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 is all I've wanted really, you know, to have a nice home, and because she'd been adopted, and it's a real sad story, and she, she'll tell you about that sometime. But um, it wasn't pleasant, and um, and so uh, at first um, she had to come to terms with that. But God actually got her to the point. And I think He has to do this with a lot of us, really, to show us that those things are not the most important things. It's following what He He wants for us, and so. It became, uh, you know, increasingly likely that things were working out because I said, well, maybe God's got to be in this because this, this guy, he's never met me and he's offered me the job. And then uh, I wrote back and said, that sounds good, you know. And um, uh, he said he had to go through the, uh, what they call manpower in Canada, the employment thing. And, and so he... Uh, he said, I've, I've told them that I'm employing you. Then they wrote back and said, you can't employ him until you advertise in the local newspaper the position because you've got to give opportunity to others who, because there was a lot of unemployment in Canada at the time. And then uh, he wrote back, he said, I'm, I put the advert in the paper, but I still want you anyway, no matter what. And I thought, it's just got to be God, hasn't it? Everything is pointing to it. You know, if anything was fitting into place, this was it. And then um, he wrote back again. He said, I've advertised and I've got 24 accountants to come and see me. He says, but I still want you. I thought, this has got to be God. And, and so this, this was going on for, for several weeks. And, and then uh, he wrote back, he says... They've told me I have got to take a Canadian accountant. He says, and I've told them I don't want. He says, they're not as qualified. I thought, well, he, he didn't know how qualified I am anyway. And, uh, I mean, I was working for a building company in England at the time, so uh, I had experience in, in you know, building accountancy is different to other kinds. But uh, So this, this was going on then. Uh, eventually they, they literally said, no, he can't come. And, uh, and that was it. Then uh, Brother Ian Wilson, who has a church in Toronto, he invited me to go and pastor in the church with him at Lake Simcoe, north of Toronto. And, uh, you know, they, and suddenly these doors begin to close, and then you think, well, there's got to be... And we found out later why. We couldn't see it. We didn't know anything that was happening. Um, but so we realized we had a brother in the church who was kind of elder with me, and... Uh, he had decided to go on the mission field, and I didn't know about this, and then he told me. And then I realized, that's why God is closing these doors. But, but you know, having seen that, I realized what, what, was, what God was really saying, are you willing to leave everything? Because it wouldn't have been easy to leave, you know, my parents and, uh, you know, you know, with uh, you know, children and so on, and, uh, which they doted on. But basically... Um, those things uh, are always testing, and so you'll get these testings in life. And you just got to know this voice. The word of the Lord came 
to Jonah, the word of the Lord will come to you. And, uh, and so you've got to really go by what God says, irrespective of, of how difficult it might seem. And some of us have to do difficult things, and we don't always want to do the difficult thing. Sometimes it's not easy to obey God. But ultimately, it comes out for the good. Sometimes, you, you know, we, we still kept knocking on that door. I actually did get a job offer as a teacher in northern Canada and uh, it was to teach physical education and RE this was in a Christian school and it was exciting and I said to her I mean we were young then you see and fit and you know uh, because part of the training for the children is that you had a thousand mile trek from Ontario right up into northern Alberta and you had to carry canoes all this way for a thousand miles and you went through lakes and up the province and into the waste, into the tundra region of Canada and, uh, and then they gave me a, a scenario of, of what uh, the classroom was like. Maybe we should do it here. That'd be interesting. But all the children made their own desks out of the... They cut the timbers down and they made their own desks. And, uh, and they said a typical scene is that they would have a roaring fire in the classroom. I mean, you know, it's like 40 below zero up in this part. And, and they said each child would probably have a husky at the side of their desk. <laughs> that sounded... I'm not sure about others. She said, are you really sure about this? But we, we were ready to go. And, and God just, in the midst of that, he said no. And they kept writing back and said, we want you to come. They must have been desperate. And they actually sent me a testimony of the school. This was amazing. And uh, apparently one of the boys, he was about 15, he was on one of these treks that they had across uh, northern Canada. And they had to get from one point to another in so many hours. I mean, they, you know, they really had to be physically fit because I was into weight training in those days and, and uh, that was part of what they wanted. Uh, so you really train these, these guys up. And, but this boy, 15 years old, he collapsed. He had a, like a heart attack. And uh, he actually died on this trek. And they managed to get him, I don't know, this Calgary or Edmonton uh, hospital. And all the school turned up in the hospital. And this boy was kind of declared dead. And they all started praying. And he literally came back to life. Sat up. After 20 minutes, he'd been recorded dead in the hospital for 20 minutes. And then they came out and said to the school, well, good news, he's alive, but the bad news is it will be like a cabbage, you know, it'll just have so much brain damage. Um, for anybody, we know that they can revive uh, some people even after five minutes, but generally they, they finish up with brain damage. But this boy, he was perfect. What a testimony for a school. And that was before we actually were into uh, these things. And so it really stood out. Wow, that would be quite a good school to be in. So, but as I say... Um, you know, so God, beloved, he, uh, he is going to give you words. But most of the words that you get, you know, from this book. 
Uh, sometimes we're wanting, I, I, I can't say that I've ever heard an audible voice of God. I don't think Andrew had even said that. Some people do. Well, praise God. And yet, we don't need it in one sense. If it comes, well, you know, that, that's great. But, but the word is here. And I've, I've at times found this word shouting out so loud to me. Uh, I can't miss it really. I know the devil shouts. He tends to shout louder than God. And I'm sure that uh, he was pretty convincing to weave in the garden. But God had already said, you see. And sometimes if God has already said and the devil is saying something else, well, you've got to be careful because James says that you know, when you get into two minds, then you're unstable. Well, did God really say? And of course, that was the question that the devil craftily said to Eve. Maybe he didn't quite say it like that. But of course, he had. The sad part is that husband Adam was stood next to her and didn't say a thing. I didn't say, yes, he did say that to us. You don't take that fruit. But he let her take it and then he took from her. There's a message in that, but we won't go into that. But praise God, we do need to uh, make sure that when we ask for anything, that we're not double-minded also, because your faith will not take hold of the promises of God. If by one thing you say one thing, but the next you're actually saying the opposite, you're doubting what you actually believed five minutes ago, because the word... And James says this, uh, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Do you feel like that? You're being tossed backwards and forwards. Well, beloved, it's just simply because you've not really taken hold of the word, because no matter what the wind is doing, you still hold to the word. But if you're being thrown off that word, and now you're believing another word, and how often does the enemy bring, and even sometimes believers coming and bringing you another word that is not the word of the Lord to you, but because they're a believer, think, oh, well, they, they know Jesus, and they're telling me this. What did God say to you? I believe that so often it's wisdom. Sometimes if you're kind of, you've heard something, and you're not quite sure just how this will work, well, it's good to get to some godly person and, and say, you know, what do you think about this? Um, but sometimes, you know, we're just being taken down a wrong road by even sometimes well-meaning people. And, you know, believers come up with humanistic thoughts, worldly wisdom. Don't take it. Psalm 1, we have to memorize that every time we got involved with anything to do with ACE. And uh, meditate that psalm. Read that psalm over and you really, it is definitely a, a good psalm to memorize. If you're going to memorize anything, don't take counsel from the ungodly. People that are not really, you know, walking with the Lord because it'll take you right off course. And um, with this tremendous blessing um, that comes from God in that psalm. So, beloved, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Don't hide from God. You can't hide from him. He's watching over you. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. You know, it's not that God leaves us. We leave him. Um, but sometimes we're, we're actually running away from something. I've always found that 
if you're trying to get out of a bad situation as a believer, if you leave something for something else, you should always leave in victory. Never leave in defeat because it's got so bad or whatever. Now, there are times when God will tell you, because it is so bad, to go, he was telling me two years to leave before I, I left, you know, accountancy. I'm still in accountancy, really, I guess. I do the books, and uh, I'm still waiting for God to supply in that area. But for two years, because my boss had died, he was the owner of the company and great boss, and, uh, and his son took over, and he really was just talking a lot of nonsense most of the time. He went completely different to his dad. His dad always wanted the bills, always paid on time. And he came, he said, I don't want all these, but he says, they're, they're going to have to wait, you know, for the money. And, and we had plenty of money in the bank. And I would put in hundreds of thousands in deposit accounts. I mean, the company was doing so well. And, um, and yet, uh, he just worked completely different. And as an accountant, the one thing you don't want is people ringing you up all the time. When am I going to get paid? When am I going to get paid? And, and the result of that, of course, is that, uh, and the wisdom of, of his dad was, Always, you pay them. If I need a plaster, if I need a decorator, he says, they will come at the drop of a hat for me because they get their money straight away. And it worked. I saw that. You know, he was just using biblical principle. He didn't know it, but, you know, that's what God was saying. Oh, no, man, anything. And, and just see, because it came back. It came back, you know, and yet he... Uh, we, I used to say, really, he just was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't know anything about the building trade at all. And yet he was trying to tell foremen and bricklayers how to do the job. What a silly thing to do, you know. They soon left the company. And so, um, with, with these things, beloved, um, we, we do need to make sure that we're hearing clearly what God has told us to do. Um, but he had to wean me off that job because I, I loved accountancy. I loved the job. And, and yet, because of that coming in, I was losing the enjoyment that I had of being in that place. And, um, and as much as you know, I was thinking, well, a good pension, company car, you've got all these things going for you. And, uh, and he so impressed me that I had to go, that eventually I had to go to the MD and say, I'm... Um, giving my notice in and uh, he says well he says can we match what you're going for he says um, uh, I'll give you more I said oh no you won't be able to give me more than what I'll get tongue in cheek he didn't know where I was going and that I was you know coming and not knowing what I was going to get um, but uh, when I explained to him he says oh he says I realized that we're not going to be able to uh, keep you on. So, uh, you know, God has got his ways though, hasn't he? But what you would miss, you know, and uh, we look back over so many years and, and yet the blessings are untold, you know, um, of, of what God does and the way he does things and the things that he teaches you because you've got to walk by faith. And, uh, and Heather had given her job up to work in the bookshop and She'd left the building society. and So we were thrown in the deep end. But you know what? It was God's voice, and so it didn't make any difference. You know, as long as you do what God calls you to do. But don't 
ever run away from a situation. Face it and realize it, it can be difficult. You can be going through really awful times even. And yet if God is with you, He's going to see you through. He doesn't call you into something where you're going to be downtrodden and defeated. And, um, but through it, He's actually going to build faith. And, you know, that, that was one of the things that he began to teach us about faith. We hadn't come into, uh, you know, any faith teaching. And then we just got hold of a Kenneth Hagin book. We bought up in uh, Spennymore where went into a little bookshop smaller than even the one that we had, which was the one downstairs, which is our second hand now. I remember going in there and pulling this book out. Kenneth Hagin, never heard of him. And I read this book and I thought, hmm, never heard anything like this from the pulpit. And we began to seek beyond that and he took us all over the place. And uh, eventually we finished up selling Kenneth Hagin books. They're still blessing people. We always sell out. I don't, we haven't actually got a Kenneth Hagin book in the shop. We sold them all at Andrew's conference and we can't even get them now because... The company that was supplying them, they have stopped supplying as most of the Christian book trade is zeroing in. And, um, but we will have to um, find other outlets for it. But these are things, beloved, that we look back on and we can say, this is true. This is what the Word says. This is why this book of Jonah, if you begin to really meditate on it, and as we will do, we'll, we'll begin to glean so much because God wants revival and you know where the revival will start? It'll start in you and me. And we stop running away. We start turning back to where God wants us to be and, uh, and let the word start coming out of our mouth to people and uh, to one another. And we'll begin to see things really escalate. We're so encouraged by seeing these, you know, Bible students hungry for God. You, come, you, you need to come down about... 12 o'clock to the bookshop and see these students eating their lunch. Wow, what a sight. Talking about, you know, the Lord and exciting things. They're, they're going to be used tremendously. And they could turn this upside, town upside down. But we need to be part of it. Amen. But they, uh, they appreciate, you know, the support uh, that we can give them as well. And... Uh, uh, there, there's going to be great things happening. Finally, just to close with, and um, in all of these things, the, the bottom line, as it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out www.jewsbygospelchurch.org.uk.